Hey, good morning, Soma. I hope everybody is nice and warm and it's a beautiful day today. Uh, we have a visiting dog at our place. I think I may have mentioned her before. We've still got her. She's still running around. And uh, we're enjoying some extra time spending with her. All right, why don't we go ahead and open up? Let me pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for just who you are. You are so amazing. We look out at the universe and just all of the stars, and you've created this place just for us as a place to live. Lord, thank you so much. We especially, Lord, want to thank you for your son who came down to earth to be one of us and to show us how we could get to you. Lord, your son came and died in our place to pay for the penalty of our sin. We love you, Lord, and we love Jesus. We thank you for this. Open our eyes and our ears this morning, Lord, as we look at Isaiah, try to understand more about who you are. We thank you and praise you. Amen. All right. So, this whole section of Isaiah, actually everything in the Old Testament up to this point, is building to this triumphant climax of the entire Old Testament. Bill doesn't know this yet, but I'm trying to rig it so that Bill can deliver that particular section, the climactic piece. It's coming up very soon. It's the last half of chapter 52 and all of chapter 53. And you'll get to hear that. And you'll understand why this is such an important piece of Isaiah. And what we're going to do today, we're looking at chapter 49. And we're going from verse 12 all the way to the end, which is all the way over to verse 26. So let's go ahead and get started. So here, verse 12 and 13. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. So this whole piece right here, verses 12 and 13, shall come from afar and break forth, O mountains. We've heard a little bit about this before. All the way back in Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that we may te he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
Also, all the way at the very end of the Bible, Revelations, Revelation 7, 9. Revelation 7, 9. <clears throat> and John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they all fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Um, that was verses 9 through 12. Sorry, I got a little excited there. That's such an amazing passage. I just love that, the way John it describes this to us. And right there in the very end of that section, you'll recall in verses 12 to 13, verses 12, Behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene, and then sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people. It mentions the land of Syene there, okay? And there's a fair bit of speculation. I did some digging on this one as to where this place might be. Most scholars agree that the ancient city of Syene is the modern city of Aswan, near where the first cataract of the Nile existed. The Nile River had a series of uh, steps where it came down from the plains down in the Horn of Africa. And the Nile loops around and then comes all the way down and it would go through these series of cataracts. And there were six of these. And the very first one was here at this ancient town of Syene. And um, <clears throat> the first two today are covered by Lake Nasser, which is the reservoir behind the Aswan dams. There's an Aswan low dam, and then there's an Aswan high dam. And the low dam was built between 1899 and 1902. At that time, that particular dam um, was the largest concrete structure in the entire world. 1899-1902, when it was completed. And that particular dam helped to regulate the flooding of the Nile River Valley. But truly high rain years continued to be problematic. So a second Aswan High Dam was begun in 1952 and it was completed in 1970. I remember when that happened. It was a really big deal because it finally allowed Egypt to control the flooding of the Nile River Valley. And I remembered that and it was reported on the news. It was a pretty big deal. The U.S. helped Egypt with some of the building of the high dam. And the Aswan High Dam is still today one of the largest earth-filled dams in front of a reservoir anywhere in the world. So that was 
a really big deal at that time. So this is where we think this ancient land of Syene was. One commentator mentioned, and only one, uh, that he thought that this was China. And I find that particular idea to be a bit of a stretch. The Silk Road between Europe and China existed, and though the trade was there, the trade was actually mostly in jade and gold. Gold from Europe would go to China, and jade from China would come to Europe. And it would go through the Middle East, just north of where Israel was. And silk was a trade commodity at that time. But this whole idea that it was called the Silk Road is actually a modern thing. And uh, it probably should be called the Jade Road. Let's continue on. Verses 14 and 15. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So the people of Zion complained to the Lord that the Lord has forgotten me. And the Lord responds by example here. Can a woman forget her nursing child? I will not forget you. The Lord is faithful. And he has stayed with us all through this time and with the nation of Israel. And yet here we have this example where the Israelites once again are complaining. If you go back to Exodus, right, you remember where the people were complaining in the wilderness. Even though the Lord was feeding them and clothing them and bringing water, that wasn't enough. They would complain about it. And yet... God was supporting them, taking care of them at that time. This is something that we should remember to be thankful for the things that God does for us. Verses 16 and 17 now. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid waste go out from you. Here we have, the Lord has engraved you on the palms of his hands. Reminds me a little bit of the old Larry Norman lyric. The rules were set down long ago when the spikes went in the wood. Isaiah is talking about Jesus here. At least that's what I see. The engraving on the palms of his hands, being nailed to the cross. God will save all of us from the great destroyer. He will not forget a single one of us, all of those of us who belong to his church. Continuing on, verse 18. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. God remembers. God tells us to celebrate. All the peoples will come that God has selected. And the Lord is looking for them. He covers them. 
He protects them and he gathers them and they will come to the mountain of the Lord, to Israel. This will happen. We'll see it happen one day. Continuing on, verse 19. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallow you up will be far away. And all those who come shall not fit into the land. Even the empty wilderness shall not be enough. But there will be enough room for all of God's people. God is setting it up so that we will all come together. We will all fit in. All, not everyone will fit into the land. Even the empty wilderness shall not be enough. But there will be enough room there for all of God's people. God is making it that way so that when the time comes, there will be room for all of us. And we will all fit into God's ultimate plan at the end. So now, verses 20 and 21. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, the place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, Who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. But who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. And from where have these come? God covers the little children, and he has brought them up, all of them. There will be room there for all of them, too. This says to me that there is a place, the children of your bereavement, the children that you've lost along the way. I think about this and I think about all the children that God will bring in on that last day, all the innocents. God holds the little children and he's brought them all. Continuing on, verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples. And they shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. And where it says, and daughters, and I'm thinking, and granddaughters. I'm just saying, haha. Seriously, the Lord shall bring in all of his people, from the oldest to the youngest, from the weak, the meek. He will bring them all together, and he will lift his hand, and the nations shall come in as well. I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples. Indeed. Verse 23 and this was interesting to me. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. The kings of the earth and the queens of the earth shall be the attendants of God's people. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. 
Jesus will elevate those who were weak, who were disabled, who were somehow left outside by the peoples. Jesus will cover them, and the first shall be the last. And the meek and the mild and the injured, they shall come in and they shall be first. And those who elevate themselves shall be the last. Verses 24 and 25. Can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. The Lord says that the captive shall be freed. The Lord will battle for his church, and our children shall be brought in by the great shepherd. I have that image of Jesus carrying the lamb across his shoulders. Jesus is going to carry us in in that same way on that last day. And we come to the end of the passage now, here. Verse 26. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior, Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. In these passages, the oppressor is far less the peoples of the earth, in my mind, in what I see, though I am sure there are many who are included there. But there's a passage where the Apostle Paul tells us that there's something else that's going on. Ephesians 2.2. Paul says, Ephesians 2.2, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul is not talking about the people necessarily, but he's talking about the destroyer. He's talking about Satan. Yes, there are those people who follow after the destroyer, and God shall depose them. And the Lord shall condemn the destroyer himself, and all the peoples shall know on that day that it is only the Lord who is our Savior and our Redeemer. And that ends the chapter. Isaiah has some unique pieces that he's bringing here about how we should show gratitude to God and how we should worship God and how we should place our trust in him. Is that what we're doing? Are we really thinking about that? And are we looking forward to Jesus in the way that we should? So next week, we're going to continue on. We'll be in chapter 50, and it will talk once again about Israel's sin and the servant's obedience. We have these two contrasting images at this time. So we'll get to talk about all that next week. Let me close out in prayer. Almighty God,
how amazing you are. Lord, you've handed down through all these centuries the words of Isaiah, just so that we could see here what is happening. And everything in the Old Testament is building and building, and we can feel it in the way that Isaiah is bringing this to our attention. And we know that it points to Jesus. We know that answer today. The peoples then didn't understand. But Isaiah was trying to point people to the day when the Savior would come and God would redeem his people. And no one understood how or when all this would happen. And still, today, so many do not know that it has already happened. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we know Jesus. Teach us more. Carve these words on our hearts. Carve Isaiah deep down inside of us so that the words that you have given us will be there. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. Lord Jesus, you came down to earth and lived that life that we could not. And you walked the path up that hill to Calvary, nailed to a cross, and you died to redeem us, to save us all at that time. Lord, how amazing, how incredible. We thank you and we praise you and we love you, Lord, for all of this. Amen. So, next week we'll continue on into chapter 50, and I look forward to this. And as I said, here in maybe three or four weeks, we'll get to this passage that is so amazing, and it's the climax, it truly is, of the entire Old Testament. And we'll talk about that later on.